In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's very good to see all of your faces this morning. Today is the second Sunday after Pentecost. It was the second Sunday after Lent when we last gathered together in this church. Since then, there have been 13 Sundays, one quarter of the year. What a long, strange trip it's been. And it's not over yet. For one thing, there are the masks. And I'm keenly aware that many of us are not yet able or not yet ready to come to church again. And because we are one body, very members incorporate in the mystical body of Christ, we feel your absence. But we also know for the same reason that we are one body, that no one is left behind. And all of this, the absence of some of our members, the strangeness of the circumstances, it also reminds us that this long, strange trip lasts the whole of this life, reminds us that we are the pilgrim people of God, on pilgrimage our whole lives to our final home in God, where in the end we will find finally a settled rest. That is, perhaps the unsettledness of the past 13 Sundays can help us to see more clearly the general unsettledness of our lives and can help us see more clearly the nature and mission of the church. And it's not by accident that this is precisely what today's lessons are about, the character and calling of the church. And that's what I want to consider with you this morning as we return to church. Let's begin with the gospel. It's a text, of course, about Jesus commissioning the 12 apostles to share his work, to labor with him in the harvest. And notice first that Jesus calls the apostles. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, the text says. And this is of first importance because it shows that the initiative belongs entirely with Jesus. The disciples do not come to him of their own accord. He calls them. As Jesus says elsewhere to them, ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you. The disciples do not raise their hands and volunteer to be laborers in the harvest. Christ conscripts them. The twelve do not band together of their own accord, but Jesus calls them to himself and so unites them. And this belongs to the very definition of the church. It's not a mere voluntary organization like the Rotary or a country club, but rather it's the assembly summoned by God. The church is fundamentally the community gathered and constituted by the call of Christ, who says, come unto me. Notice also that Christ calls 12 apostles. This also is significant. It's not simply an accident of history, as if Christ just happened to call 12 apostles 
and that it would have made no difference if he had left off at 11 or gone on to 13 or called only nine or some other number. No, on the contrary, it's a deeply significant and symbolic choice, drawing together memory of the past and hope for the future. The 12 apostles called by Jesus matched the 12 tribes of Israel, which traced their ancestry to the 12 sons of the patriarch Jacob, who was also called Israel, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, to whom the Lord had said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Twelve apostles for the twelve tribes, suggesting a renewed Israel reconstituted around the person of Jesus. And in Jesus' day, many Jews longed for a restoration of the whole people of Israel, the whole twelve tribes of Israel, because the ten northern tribes of Israel had been carried into exile under the Assyrians all the way back in the 8th century BC and had subsequently disappeared from history, lost among the nations. And in calling 12 to be his disciples, his apostles, Christ is, in effect, restoring the whole people of Israel, restoring the lost 10 tribes to Israel, renewing the people of God in order to fulfill Israel's vocation to be a blessing, a light to the nations. Well, why does this matter for us? It matters because it means that the story of the church does not make sense apart from the story of Israel. And this is especially important for us to remember as Gentile Christians. We are, in effect, little sisters, latecomers, as Paul says, wild shoots grafted onto a cultivated tree. And it's to us, Gentile Christians, that Paul says, Remember that at one time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remembering this, that we were once outsiders, should be a source of deep humility and of all at the mercy and loving kindness of God towards us. And it should also be a reminder to the church that it shares in Israel's vocation to be a blessing. That is, that the church exists for the sake of others, for the life of the world. Look again at the names of the apostles. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and the rest of them. Just who is it that Jesus called to be his apostles? If you look closely, you'll discover that they were a motley crew. The 12 apostles come from across the spectrum of society. On the one end of the spectrum were two disciples, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who seemed to have been associated with the Zealots, a radical group that sought the violent overthrow of the Roman oppressor. 
They're kind of the radical fringe, and I'm not sure whether to put them on the right or the left, but you get the idea, I think. On the opposite end of the political spectrum was Matthew, who as a publican or tax collector would have worked hand in glove with the Roman authorities, and so a kind of natural enemy of Simon and Judas. We know little about the others, save that most of them were fishermen from Lake Gennesareth or the Sea of Galilee. But it's clear that the 12 disciples were a mixed bag. They had little in common, and some were natural political enemies, but all of them were called by Jesus. And that's what unites them. And this, I think, speaks a salutary word to us in a time in our country of deep polarization. As Pope Benedict writes of the apostles, precisely in the wide range of backgrounds, temperaments, and approaches, the twelve personify the church of all ages and its difficult task of purifying and unifying these men in the zeal of Christ Jesus. In other words, the church is meant to be the place, is the place, where many are made one, where dividing walls of hostility are broken down in Christ Jesus, who is our peace. The apostles in the end. Nothing other than the death of Jesus. Only Judas Iscariot is said to have betrayed Jesus, But Simon Peter, the first and chief of the apostles, we know well, denied him three times. At which Jesus was arrested, we read that all the disciples forsook him and fled. And in this, they share a kind of brutal unity in their unfaithfulness, one in which we ourselves share. But the death of Jesus will also be the cause of a deeper and more perfect unity and the means of their purification. For God commends his love for us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is what the apostles came to confess, and that is the message the church bears to the world. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, And being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is what we remember every time we come to church. And it is this that is made present to us in Holy Communion, the cross of Christ, which lays bare the enmity of our hearts towards God, and at the same time gloriously displays the all-surpassing love of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, who purifies and unites his church through his love, which he has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us, that the whole world might be made a place for love to dwell in. In the late 1930s, the English writer Rebecca West visited the Balkans, and she wrote a very good book about her travels called Black Lamb and Gray Falcon. And in it, she describes a visit to an Orthodox church in Macedonia called the Church of Sveti Jovan, or of St. John. 
The church stands on a clifftop near a lake, and she traveled across the water in a rowboat to get to it. And on the lake, there were people rowing in boats around and around and singing. And the whole area around the church was covered with people. And the church itself was so packed that the faithful were, as she says, swaying together, sweating together, with elbows in each other's bellies and their breath on each other's napes. A description which makes this social distancing seem not so bad after all. And she goes on to speak about how the suffering of the church in the Balkans, uh, how it led the church to concentrate on celebrating Holy Communion, on what she calls reiterations of the first meaning of Christianity. The church, she writes, had to repeat over and over again that goodness is adorable and that there is an evil part in man which hates it, that there was once a poor man born of a poor woman, who was perfectly good and was therefore murdered by evil men, and in his defeat was victorious, since it is far better to be crucified than to crucify, while his murderers were conquered beyond the imagination of conquerors, and that this did not happen once and far away, but is repeated every day in all hearts." And West says that the liturgy in that clifftop church evoked for the faithful the goodness that they had murdered and comforted them by showing that it had not perished forever. And when the liturgy was finished, she says, goodness was so completely evoked that it could no longer be contained and must break forth to pervade the universe. And with it, there poured out into the open the priests and the congregation. And the crowds of the people on the clifftop cried aloud in their gratitude. And she says, the people rowing on the lake, hearing the cries of those on the cliff, leaned on their rows and gave themselves up to their singing. The flat, brilliant waters trembled and their snow peaks glittered. It was as if joy had permeated the whole earth. May it be so with us as we come back to church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.